plays a near-perfect game and knocks off Canada in Edmonton. The United States wins the World Junior Hockey Championship. I think I speak for everyone in the country when I say we lost to those fucking again. Seriously? Welcome to Soups on Hockey. I'm your host, Tyler Campbell. How are you? <sighs> Hope you're having a good day. Got lots of fun and exciting stuff for you on the show today. On today's show, we'll talk about the World Junior Hockey Championships that just wrapped up in Edmonton. The United States won. Canada took home the silver. Finland took home the bronze. Russia placed fourth. Nobody gives a shit about the rest. We'll talk about Trevor Zegers and how he's amazing. We'll talk about Team Canada and how they came up short. We'll talk about Cole Caulfield and all his brilliance and how his Two power play goals in the tournament were the difference for the United States. All hail Cole Caulfield. We won't be talking any any Edmonton Oilers on the show today. It'll be just about the World Juniors and how fun and exciting and invigorating it was for our nation. I really hope you enjoyed today's show. Don't forget to give us a follow. At TJ Soups on Twitter, at TJ Soups on Instagram. Follow the Facebook page, Soups on Hockey. I'll be sure to make it worth your while. It's fun and exciting stuff. We're coming up with new stuff every day on the show. Fuck me. Seriously? We lost to those fucking. Again. In all seriousness, all world juniors on this show, uh, we're about to get hot and heavy with the NHL. Uh, 
We're about to get hot and heavy. And, you know, to be honest, that's shtick, as I'm sure you know if you've listened to the show by now. Um, Hey, there was a very handsome gentleman who has a world-renowned hockey podcast, one of the best hockey podcasts on the planet. I can safely say that. It is one of the best. Now, I don't know how much that, like, has to, you know, how far down the list exactly I have to go, but I can say it is one of the best. If you're talking top 1,000, I'm in there, baby. Woo! There was a guy, handsome gentleman, who had a podcast, who said this back on December 22nd. Um, I don't think Canada's winning. You know, someone, someone put out the odds the other day for the tournament. And the guy, I can't remember who it was, but the guy that put it out said, Hammer Canada or something like that. That's what she said. I would be hammering Canada. You know the team that I had been hammering? That's what she said. It was plus, the states were plus 400. Canada, I think, was plus 200. I would have been hammering the states. That's what she said. That's my joke. Damn it, Dwight. The states have an excellent all-around team, and Canada doesn't stack up to them remotely close in goal. Not at all saying that Canada can't win. But you look at the states, they seem to be underrated coming into this. They love playing on Canadian soil. They're great as the underdogs. They love punking Canada on their home ice. They've got the goaltending. They've got an all-around team that matches up well with Canada. I think the states win this. I think Canada's second. I think Sweden's third. Now, a couple things there. One, Sweden didn't win bronze. Two, the thing that I never would have guessed was that Canada had great goaltending. Wow. Devin Levi. Holy shit, son. My nephews play for the Flin Flon Bombers, and the Flin Flon Bombers, in my, you know, it's a little bit biased, but they really looked primed to win the SJHL last season. So they would have been at Nationals. They would have went to the Centennial Cup. And I said this to both, well, I don't think I said it to both of them. Easton wasn't here. But I know I said it to Chase. They would have ran into a brick wall named Devin Levi had they made nationals. I mean, I'm not saying that Flynn Fawn would have won anyway. Sherwood Park <laughs> probably wasn't anybody beating Sherwood Park last year. But they would have ran into a brick wall had they met up with Devin Levi. <laughs> that kid, wow. And how about the tier twos out of last year's draft? How how you liking them now? Maybe we give a little more respect to the kids going the college route. Okay? Carter Savoy, rookie of the month in all of NCAA hockey, is tearing it up. And DU is not playing cupcakes. You know, I'm sure there's there's a variance of the competition that they've played, but for the most part, they played some excellent teams. And don't get me wrong, Savoy, a lot of his damage is being done on the power play. I said that last last podcast and whatever, but he looks great. 
Michael Benning looks great. I can tell you while I'm thinking of it, two kids, and again, it's a, it's a bit of a bias. It's a bit of a tier two bias. Watch out for two kids. One of them isn't even playing for DU right now, but he's committed. Reed Irwin, who played in Lloydminster with the Bobcats, then moved on. He was traded to Shore Park and played in Shore Park all last season. Don't sleep on Reed Irwin playing in the NHL someday. That's a kid. You know how you get these kids, the college free agents? In, I guess it would be, eh, it would still be four years, wouldn't it? Yeah. After his senior season, watch for him to be one of the most coveted uh, college free agents. Just watch for that. Because Reed Irwin has good size, can like great mobility, great mobility. And he hasn't played D that long. I actually didn't know this. I, I've, I've thought this for about a year now, but I actually didn't know this. Reed Irwin didn't start playing defense until I believe he started his junior A career with the Lightminster Bobcats. Could be wrong on that timeline, but I know he hasn't played D for that long. Got told that the other day. You watch. And Oilers fans, that's a kid that if you want to get a college free agent in a few years, that's a kid I'd be targeting. Another one that they've got named Tristan Lemaire, who I brought up, the Twins playing in Flin Flon. Tristan Lemaire played in Flin Flon last year. He's an 0-1. Okay, so my nephews were two of the high-scoring players with the with the Bombers last year. They had three 99-borns who were spectacular. And then Lemaire's an 0-1. And Lemaire was already pretty equal. You know, I don't think the Twins have a problem with me saying he was even better than the Twins. And he wasn't far off what those big-time... I mean, you had a kid, Donovan Houle, who is now at Maine. Like, a good player. And I'm not saying Lemaire was on his level. He wasn't, but he wasn't far off it. So just just a couple of kids to keep your eye on for future reference. But I'm getting off topic. So you had Savoy playing great at DU. Mike Benning is being overshadowed by Savoy, but he's had a great start to his college career too. And then you got Devin Levi doing what he did in the World Juniors. Maybe we pay a little bit more attention to Tier 2 hockey. Just, just thinking out loud. It's not the CHL, but it's not as far off as people think. It's not the discrepancy it maybe used to be. Devin Levi was unbelievable for Canada. I mean, even you talk about this game, Devin Levi, think about those goals. Turcotte with a tip from the point after the U.S. did a brilliant job hemming Canada into their own zone. Jeez, it was over a minute, I want to say, that they had Canada running around. You just feel that coming. There are certain shifts where you just know, you just know that the team is going to gas out and that they're going to be helpless. And you, that's a situation where you should take a penalty. But if Canada, even if Canada would have taken a penalty there, I mean, it wouldn't have mattered if they wouldn't have touched the puck. Just would have been a delayed call coming. But you kind of you kind of have to do something in that scenario, whether it's just 
hack a stick out of someone's hands, anything. You, you just have to because the odds of you getting scored on are probably greater once you're gassed like that than they would be going, you know, taking your chances on the penalty kill. Not shitting on anyone in Canada. It's just a kind of a a thing that maybe coaches coaches should start thinking about teaching their kids, teaching their players. You know, you get gassed like that, take the penalty. Just take the penalty. But anyway, shot from the point, tipped in, no chance for Levi on that one. And then the Zgrass goal, look, I'm not here to take anything away from the States. That was that was a crazy bounce. I I didn't even realize till this morning that it had taken the bounce that it did. The mesh on those nets, how many times do we see goals come right back out when they're shot in the net these days? Because the mesh is so tight. So for the puck to go dead like it did off the back of that mesh perfectly for Trevor Zegers and to put that puck in, like that was that was a crazy bounce for the Americans. And then as we saw the rest of the game, Canada did not get one. Bowen Byram scores that goal where he hits post. Bowen Byram scores that goal. Canada wins that game. Because all Canada needed all night was a bounce. Once they finally settled down and they were gripping, you could see it. Once they finally settled down, they were far and away the better team. And they were the fresher team. That was pretty evident too. End of the second period, about midway through the third period. Canada was much, much fresher than the States were. But they just couldn't get a bounce. And it's nothing against Spencer Knight, but Canada couldn't finish. Like, I never felt like, even when Knight was making big stops, they were off scrambles. You know, there was nothing There was nothing clean about what Canada was doing. And that was kind of the story for Canada. And I don't think actually it was a lack of skill on Canada's part. It's rust. We saw it. We saw it in the bubble. Teams took about two rounds. The play-in round and then the first round. Teams took time to finally get the rust knocked off because they hadn't been playing. Canada All-Tournament. Unless Canada was playing cupcakes, like, you know, and Germany wasn't a cupcake, but in the game against Canada, they sure were because they were gassed and they only had 14 skaters or whatever it was. And then, you know, against Slovakia, Slovakia didn't have that great of a team, and yet they struggled to score. They nearly lost that game. And then, and then against, uh, was it the, I can't remember who else they blew up. Was it Austria or the Swiss? I really can't remember. I want to say it was the Swiss. Uh, obviously, people listening know. I just, it's, it's blanking on me at the time. But, you know, those were cupcake games. It's not, it's not hard. You know, the game that Byfield put up five points, whatever that game was. Th- that, that was easy. But in all the other games, Canada really struggled. I mean, you think about the game against the Russians, that was more about Askarov playing like shit. You know, and, and Vyacheslav Fedosov ripping his team after because of the, you know, they weren't ready to play. That was more about Russia fucking up than it was about Canada. Like in hindsight, I don't think anybody thought this way 24 hours ago going into the game. But in hindsight, it's like, yeah, yeah. It sucks, though, because Canada, Canada was the best team in that tournament. Make no mistake about that. U.S. got the better of them last night, but Canada was the best team in that tournament. 
they fell asleep. I, I don't think yeah, and here there's there's so many different aspects to this. One reason the US beats Canada all the time, I say this for the flames with the Oilers. On one hand, it's fun to mock Calgary for having that little brother syndrome thing that they've got going on. Because they do. And the States has it too. The States has it with Canada too. You, like, they're the little brother. They're always wanting to be big brother, but they can't be. But where that really helps, the U.S. hate Canada when they play them internationally. I don't feel like we hate the States. They hate Canada. The Flames, up until the stick toss, the Flames hated the Oilers. The Oilers didn't hate the Flames. But when the Oilers finally started to hate the Flames, coming off a back-to-back game when the Flames were sitting at home well-rested, the Oilers blew them out. You need the hate. So people say, well, the U.S., they've now beat us four gold medal games in a row and we've only won one ever, right? Because the U.S. hates Canada. It's not that they've moved ahead of Canada, but they hate Canada. The U.S. plays far and away better against... Like, the U.S. didn't deserve... You know, I'm not saying... they. I shouldn't say they didn't deserve... But the U.S. was outplayed by the Finns the night before. Finland, if there was a deserving team, Finland should have won that game, not the States. Coin toss. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that the States didn't deserve it. But but it was it, the Finns got the better of that play. The Finns were the better team. Even when, it was, when the States got up 3-1, you were kind of saying, jeez, Finns are outplaying them. But... The U.S., that's just what this is just what they do. This is why they end up falling flat on their face and don't win as much as they do is because it's more important for them to beat Canada than it is to win gold. Don't get me wrong. They love winning gold. Anyone does. But for them, beating Canada is the carrot. For the Flames, beating the Oilers is the carrot. It's not, it's not doing anything in the playoffs. It's beating the Oilers. Whether they admit that or not, that's the case. Um you know, I, one of the times I first recognized this, 2012, the Philadelphia Flyers. The Philadelphia Flyers played out of their skulls against the Pittsburgh Penguins in the playoffs that year. And it was, oh my God, look at how great this Flyers team is. And then what happened in the second round against Jersey? They were dusted easily. They were dusted in five. The only game they won was in OT. They didn't show up because they had won their cup. Whether they, you know, subconsciously or psychologically, they wouldn't have realized that, but subconsciously, that was the case. And that's the case for the Americans. I think if the Americans would have knocked off Canada in the semis and then played Finland in the gold medal game, U.S. probably would have lost. But they didn't. And... (laughs) I'll tell you, one of the things, when people were mocking and loving every minute of Spencer Knight having such a shitty game to open that tournament, I just, I'm sitting there watching it like, you guys, this is probably good for him. This is probably a good thing. And that's another thing to this. The Americans faced adversity. 
The Americans faced adversity early on. The Americans faced adversity when Finland tied the game the night before. The Americans went through it. Whether people say it's a myth or not, I don't care. I believe it. Teams need to face adversity. The only teams that don't need to face adversity are teams that are so much better than the opposition. Like, you have to be miles and miles ahead of the opposition to get away with not having to go through adversity. Because at some point, most teams are going to have to face it. And it helps to have faced it before. It's a thing. It is a thing. People people thought, you know, when had the 80s Oilers ever faced adversity? Before 1986, that is. When had they faced adversity? 83? Okay. But, I mean, they didn't really. You know, 82? It, they didn't really. Like, they hadn't, they hadn't faced adversity since Game 7 against the Flames in 84, going into 86, and they overcame that. You know, that 86, you know, I, I heard Stoff and Speck talking about it the other day, how, you know, like, you know, it wasn't just Steve Smith's goal. They lost, they lost four games. That whole series, and I didn't live, like, I lived through it, but I don't remember it at all because <laughs> I was, like, two, but two or three, uh, something like that. I think it was still two at the time. At the time of the actual series. I turned three in 86. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Calgary, or Edmonton, sorry. Edmonton just never woke up in that series. They would come back and they'd tie it and then they'd drift off again. You know, we're, again, Calgary at that time would have had that little brother syndrome, had the hate for the Oilers. The Oilers didn't have the hate for the Flames. In 88, the Oilers had the hate for the Flames. In 91, the Oilers had the hate for the Flames because they knew it could happen, right? So there's a lot of, there was a lot of stuff. You got the hate that Canada doesn't have. That's why I, I strongly believe that's a big reason why the states keep beating Canada in the gold medal games. Mind you, last night was the first one. I don't even know if you consider last night the first one. 2010 was OT. 20. When was the next one? Was it 2017? What one am I forgetting? 2011, 2012. This is fun, isn't it? Fun podcast. Uh, not 2015, 20. Oh, I'm 2004. 2004 was the first one, not 2010. <laughs> so you go back to 2004. 2004, Canada's up 3-1. People remember the Patrick O'Sullivan goal. It wasn't just that goal. Ryan Kessler's goal, as I talked about on the last podcast. One of the freaky, that was the same type of bounce that Zegris got last night, where it's like, I have never once in my life seen that kind of bounce in a hockey game. And since Ryan Kessler scored that goal, I have never seen that type of bounce again. So 
a freak play happens, the states come back to win gold in 04. 2010, OT. What do you do? You know, Canada came back to tie that game. Canada, that was another situation like last night. Canada never felt like they were as into the game in 2010. 2004, they were. 2004, the U.S. went into that tournament as the heavy favorites. Canada had a really young team. I mean, that was most of Team Canada was ended up being the 2005 team. I think they had 11 returnees for 05. They were really young. They weren't expected to do as good as they did in 04. 2017... I mean, that's what changed the OT rules, right? Because it was so dumb that it even went to a shootout in a gold medal game. A gold, I understand the reason for shootouts uh, in international tournaments. You know, you got other games to play. But in gold medal games, you don't. So the fact that they're three-on-three three is even bullshit. Just, just go five-on-five. Five. Just keep it going until you get a fair winner. You know, do it fairly. Play actual hockey. There's no reason to not play actual hockey. So anyway, the point I'm trying to get at here is Canada's had shit luck. (laughs) They've had shit luck, but they don't have the hate for the states that the states have for us. Um, The last three gold medal games, the states have been the underdogs. 2010... 2017. 2017 was pretty even. Shouldn't say that the states were big underdogs. They had beat Canada in the round robin. So that that one's a little unfair. But 2010 and 2017, or uh, 2021, the states were pretty big underdogs coming in. So that, that plays into it too. Because you're more ready. You're more focused. And that's the point I'm trying to get to finally. Is that Canada came out. They they didn't have any urgency. Against the Russians and against the Finns, Canada had a ton of urgency. They didn't have any urgency. Not in that gold medal game. So about 10 minutes in, the play was even. Canada probably had the edge. And then once the Americans scored, you could see grip, 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 grip. It's like we forget who the fuck we are. You know, and I know these are kids. I'm not trying to blame them for it. But, you know, when Canada wins five straight golds, it's because they know who the fuck they are. All those teams know who the fuck they are. And they're going, you know, they're going to prove it. You know, they've got that confidence. When we're not winning every year, I know it's a different team every year, a drastically different team. Almost everyone is different most years. But it's just like we forget who the fuck we are. Whereas when we're winning five in a row, we have that invincibility that, well, nothing's going to happen. We win. We always win. We're Canada. Canada, I, I said this last night. I'll say it again. There's been three games in the last seven world junior tournaments where Canada just had shitty, shitty bounces. And if Canada doesn't have those shitty, shitty bounces, they've won six of the last seven gold medals. 
Like, I really believe that. You can argue that. Don't get me wrong. You can argue that. But I, I truly believe that. Canada would have won six of seven golds if it wasn't for just shit luck in three games. 2017 against the States goes to, by the way, that 2017 game OT, Canada dominated the OT. Dominated. Couldn't buy one. They were, they were on their way to winning if that game had a continuous OT. 2019 against the Finns, the Finns tied it on a ridiculously fluky goal. And then in OT, obviously, Comtois gets stopped on the penalty shot. And then people forget this. I think it was Noah Dobson. I did this last podcast, so I should remember. But pretty sure it was Noah Dobson. Had a wide open net, got the pass, and his stick broke on the shot that not only didn't end up sealing the game for Canada, but then the Finns went the other way and scored. It allowed the Finns to get an odd man rush the other way, and they scored off it. Horrendous luck. And then last night, the States had one clean goal, another one that was a very lucky bounce, and then Canada didn't get one bounce the whole game. Canada gets... I, seriously, Bowen Byram scores on that rush shorthanded, Canada wins that game because they quit gripping and they have a tidal wave of momentum. And once Canada finally settled down, it was clear they were the better team. It was very clear. But they had no finish. And all tournament, they had no finish. And it, they were dominating. They were dominating. That game on New Year's Eve against Finland, they dominated them. But they only won 4-1. You're like, nobody dominates the Finns. Because the Finns will fucking fight you to the death. But Canada dominated, like Canada broke their spirit in that game, which is damn near impossible to do, but they did. But yeah, they, they just, they had no finish. They had no finish against Slovakia, against Finland, I guess against Russia. But, you know, again, that was more on Askarov playing like garbage. By the way, don't shut up with... Askarov's a bust. Like <laughs> you, you can have your opinions on how you, how you would or wouldn't draft a goaltender that high all you want, but I mean the fact is, the fact is you knew with any goaltender a minimum of three years, a minimum of three years. Spencer Knight didn't look that good last year for the States, and didn't look that good in the first game for the States. Askarov's a year younger, so just just ease up. Definitely, definitely get on the hype train for Devin Levi being a legit NHL prospect. And, oh, do the Florida Panthers ever wish they wouldn't have given Bobrovsky $10 million a year now? <laughs> you got Dreger, you got Montembeau, you've got Knight, and you've got Levi. It's a pretty good pipeline of goaltenders. Um, I guess, on the other hand, if you're going to have pissed away 10 million on a guy like Bobrovsky at least you've got other guys who will be able to come in for dirt cheap to offset that so there is that there is that but still uh, that hurts that might hurt a little bit more the Panthers fan might see that a little bit differently uh, than glass half full that sucks it sucks what happened to Canada but I firmly believe they were the best team in this tournament. 
had one shitty game. I think, and, and the other thing, the other point I was trying to make, and if you can't tell by now, I'm doing this podcast off the cuff, basically with no notes whatsoever. It's all off the cuff. But I wanted to do this one. I wanted to get it out today. It's the only way I knew how to do it out today. Normally, I script the whole show, and it takes me a couple hours to script. And then I do it even though I don't read the show. I need to have my notes because I feel like I don't stutter as much when I have my notes. Two things I do bad. Stutter and that. I can't stand hearing myself breathe all the time. I've always been a heavy breather. I think I got a deviated septum. But anyway, is that how you say it? Uh, You felt like after the game, Canada was so disappointed. And they would never say it publicly. But I got the sense that with everyone on Team Canada, they were so disappointed because they knew that them coming out basically unprepared. And I don't say unprepared as in like it's on the coaches, it's on the players, or anything like that. Just mentally, they just they just kind of they didn't have the intensity. They didn't come out with any intensity, any desperation in their game. And it felt like they knew that and that they played horrible. That's that's what I felt hearing all their interviews. Now, let's get to some of the fun stuff. Um, said this on Twitter. I'll say it again here. Um, I, this isn't a shot at Philip Broberg at all, and I'm still very high on Philip Broberg as a prospect. He's definitely going to play, and he, I still firmly believe that guy has number one ability, and he was playing hurt. It's So let's remember that, too. He was playing very beat up in that tournament. So, you know, who knows what a healthy Philip Broberg would have done for Sweden. In the first game we saw him in, he had three assists and controlled a lot of the game. He was fantastic. But how much did it suck as an Oilers fan watching Trevor Zegers? <laughs> now, I was Zegers wasn't first for me for the Oilers in that pick. First for me was Krebs. But the reason Zegers hurts is because... I knew they weren't taking Krebs. Krebs wasn't on their radar, which broke my heart. But by the time the draft came, it was like, okay, I'm okay with not taking Krebs, but you better take Zegras. And they passed on Trevor Zegras. And if you remember, I was livid. I still, leading up to the tournament, would have preferred Zegras because I felt the fit was better. I felt the potential was was better, was safer, I should say, maybe more than better. Because, um, you know, watching Zegers, it doesn't mean he lit up the World Juniors. That doesn't mean he's going to be a superstar. So let's just keep that in mind. You know, Zegers, we'll see how he reacts to getting pushed around the NHL. But I think surefire top six player and surefire top six player right out the gate. So if you had that kind of talent in the Oilers top six, wouldn't be any need for Dominic Cahoon. Top six would be set. And the other thing about Zegers, some people might not like his cocky attitude. I fucking love it. And I think a guy like him would have loved Edmonton. Because I think he's a guy who likes the spotlight. You know, like I've always said this about Max Domi. Max Domi, when, when 
Arizona, this is one of the few moves that Mark Bergevin's done that I loved when he traded Galchenyuk for Domi. I love that because I said, Max Domi's one of the few guys who loves the spotlight and is going to crave the spotlight. Max Domi will not like Columbus. There's no, there's no spotlight in Columbus. Max Domi has two-year deal. He's out of there. I, I don't want to guarantee it, but I would bet big money today, two years, and Max Domi's hitting the free agent market. And he's signing somewhere where there's going to be a spotlight. Whether that's New York, Philly, Toronto, you know, doubt he goes back to Montreal, Winnipeg, Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver. He is going somewhere where there's a big spotlight. He thrives off it. And I think Trevor Zegers would be that guy. I think he would have loved Edmonton. You know, so that that sucks knowing that. You draft, you draft Zegers. You sign Crawford instead of Barry. And then Sammy Vatnin sitting there. For, so if you are really worried still about Evan Bouchard and rushing him in, which I don't think you'd be doing at all, I think Evan Bouchard, I won't get into it again. But <laughs> if you need to sign that veteran D-man, Sammy Vatnin probably could be had for one year, $1 million right now. A buryable contract. And would provide, he's a little bit different, even though he's a small defenseman like Barry. He's different in that he's actually pretty solid in his own zone. Just doesn't put up the points that Barry does. Although if he had, you know, if he was on the top unit power play, maybe he would. Sucks knowing that the Oilers are that close. If they'd done those two moves anyway, you know, flip a coin if you want to do the Vatnin deal as well. But if you did done just those two moves, Zegras and Crawford, I would say the Oilers would be a dark horse to, to challenge, well, to win the West this year. Or what, you know, win the conference. There's not even going to be a conference, so I don't even know how you want to put it. But to come out of the Canadian division. Maybe maybe they wouldn't win the Canadian division, but I'd feel pretty confident that they could come out of the Canadian division in the playoffs because they would have the goaltending and they would have the scoring and the defense is better than people realize. You know, so that sucks. But I'll tell you what didn't suck. And the one, I keep regretting it deeply. I don't know how, I don't know what his ceiling is going to be. I know he's got a massive ceiling. I know he's got to put a lot of work in. There's going to be a lot of work put in still to hit that ceiling if he ever does. But I I don't know why I slept on Dylan Holloway as a possibility for the Oilers. I'm glad this brass didn't. I was dead wrong about hating the pick initially, and I absolutely love it. And this was, you know, if you listen to the podcast, this started way before the World Juniors. But it only cemented, the World Juniors and Holloway's performance only cemented that for me. The speed, the power, and the motor, he is a top nine NHL player at bare minimum. And, you know, people were saying, I, a lot of people texted into Stoffer's show the last few days, and uh, they bitched about his skill. Brother or sister, don't you worry about his skill. Because skill, it's, 
People get too wrapped up in it. You don't have to be super, you don't have to be able to toe drag everyone to play in the top six in the NHL. You can have a game like Holloway and do the little things and produce. You know, Brandon Saad is not the most skilled player in the league. It's not. Brandon Saad does everything well. Skates well, has good size, plays a good 200-foot game, goes to the net, willing to go to all the dirtiers, not just the front of the net, everywhere. He's willing to do anything he needs to do. Holloway could eat, you know... Two things that I think Holloway needs to do, work on his shot, and it's not because his shot is garbage. It's because I think in the NHL, he's going to need to play off the puck more than he does to be really successful if he wants to be a top six player. And then just and work on his hands. Work on playing that greasy game in front of the net. Because that's where, because he's willing to do that. So work on those hands. He could be just, and stay with me on this, I'm not saying he plays exactly like him, but he could be a new age Ryan Smith for the others. Ryan Smith was not the most skilled player in the world by any means. But Ryan Smith was willing to play a game that others weren't. And Holloway's got that in him. You know, I got a text the other night from uh, someone who said to me, he's going to fight in the pros, isn't he? Said, oh, yeah. Yeah. Because he's just, he's that hardworking, honest type. Like he, He's got so many traits like a Ryan Smith had. Like, a, And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying he's going to become this player by any means. But he's got traits like a Jerome Ginla had. And, you know, growing up a Flames fan, he would have been a huge Ginla fan. Shane Doan, Trevor Linden. Like, these are the guys that come to mind when I think of Holloway. Like, just that hard-working, honest player that just... And, and, you know, maybe he's only an Ethan Morrow. You know, I've heard that comparison before with him. You know, the, the comp that I like for the low end of Dylan Holloway is he might be... Is he Sam Bennett? At worst, he's Sam Bennett. But think about Sam Bennett for the Flames. If I'm a Flames fan, I really love Sam Bennett. Even though they missed on that pick. You know, who went fifth? Michael Dalcole. Who went sixth? Jake Jake Vertanen. I was going to say Jake Vatanen. You know, who went seventh? Hayden Fleury. Who looks okay right now. But, you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't until the eighth pick that a better player went. You know, so I think Flames fans are quite happy with Sam Bennett being an anchor on the third line and, you know, a guy who's going to wear a letter for that franchise. You know, I'm okay with that, with Holloway. No, I think that the bar is higher than that. But if that's all he is, I'm okay with that. You know, so... He proved again why he's and I think he's still got two years developing left after this season. I would say minimum year and a half. I think he goes back another year at Wisconsin 
and then the Oilers sign him after his junior season. Because I think what that does, it's slower progression, right? I mean, we'll see. Maybe Holloway says to the Oilers, look, I want to come out now. If you guys, you know, he plays that card of, if you guys let me go to my junior season, I'm just going to go to my senior season, and then I'll walk as a free agent. And chances are he'd walk right down the hallway. So if Holloway wants to leave school now, he's going to. But I don't get the sense that Holloway would make those kind of demands. But even then, I think you're looking at a year and a half minimum after this season. He needs time. You need to give him time to see if that skill is really going to come. Because it could. And if it does, holy fuck. The Oilers got a hell of a player. And again, he doesn't have to be a guy who's... He doesn't have to have incredible vision. He doesn't have to have a breathtaking shot. He doesn't have to... He doesn't have to be the skill that so many think you need to be cuz he's going to play a you know he's going to play a hard working greasy game. He just needs to have enough skill to finish. That's it. And if he does, who the Oilers got someone so valuable. So I'm really excited about Dylan Holloway after that tournament did nothing to deter me. Um Peyton Krebs, Peyton Krebs reinforced my love for him. Dylan Cousins reinforced my love for him. We can talk about Zegras, man. Fuck you, Buffalo, because I really believe that Cousins was the guy the Oilers really wanted. It just felt like if he was there, he was going to be their guy. And if he would have fallen that one more spot, oh. Cousins and Holloway. The Dylan Act, the two Dylans, that wouldn't have sucked, would it? <laughs> and again, it's not to shit on Broberg at all. But again, I'm not going to move off the fact that the Oilers were already set on D. Yeah, there wasn't a need for Broberg. Imagine Cousins and Holloway. Oh my God. But anyway, um, I stress not to look too much into what happens in a tournament. But I'm making an exception for Cole Caulfield because I said this on Twitter. I've made fun of him for a couple games now. And it's not so much making fun of him. It's making fun of how overrated people or how people overrate him so bad. It's not really anything against Cole Caulfield. But Cole Caulfield in all seriousness, even disappointed me. And I'm the guy since 2019, since leading up to that draft, I had him 16th going into that draft. It was lower than anyone else had him. And I kept saying, like, I don't think people are looking at this realistically. They're just looking at his goals and they're in love with how hard he works and how small he is. Like, he's endearing. He is super endearing. I get it. And it also helped him a ton that Alex DeBrinkett had a huge season that year. But if you were looking at things realistically with Caulfield, you would have said, oh, he's got no vision and 
he's not a burner for a guy who's so small. Like, it's not that Caulfield's so small. It's that Caulfield isn't a great skater. For me, like if you're gonna be small, that's fine. I don't have anything against drafting small players, but you need, you really need great skating ability when you're that size. Kyler Yamamoto, I have been all in on Kyler Yamamoto making it at whatever five seven five eight because he's super fast and he has great vision. Caulfield has neither of those traits. And snipers don't work. Snipers either don't meet expectations or they flat out bust. Sorry to those people who love them. It's true. Patrick Line was the second overall pick. He did not bust. But Patrick Line is not the needle mover that so many thought he'd be. To the point where when the Winnipeg Jets deal him, I would not be surprised if they catch some team doing something really, really stupid and Winnipeg ends up improving their team. By the way, that deal one for one, line A for Dubois, like, Kekalainen does some pretty stupid things, so might happen but if i'm columbus i want no part of that deal i'm not leaving myself without a center max domi is your number one center and basically nothing behind him who miku koivu behind him fuck that i'm not doing that deal now i'm not a jack roslovic fan but if you add in jack roslovic if you're the jets okay now it gets a little more interesting and by the way if i'm the jets i'd still do that deal but snipers don't move the needle. And we're, nobody's being honest about this shit. Oh, look at Cole Caulfield. Look at how great his shot is. Uh-huh. And look at what happens when the competition gets good. Caulfield can't score. Even look at his numbers last year. Wisconsin plays weak competition at the start of the year. And as the competition gets stiffer, Caulfield's numbers go down. Not a fucking surprise. Cole Caulfield in two World Juniors, zero even strength goals. Zero even strength, sorry, five on five goals. One goal, three on three. One goal, five on four. One goal, five on three. Oh, but look at the shot, five on three. Uh Uh-huh, yeah, great. When he has every fucking bit of ice that you could possibly have to get off his shot, he beats a junior goaltender. Fuck, congrats. This is nothing against Cole Caulfield. I am legitimately pulling for this kid. What this is about is people not being fucking real about what he is. At this point... I would say Cole Caulfield is going to be a fourth-line player in the NHL if you want to use him right. He is a fourth-line player in the league who's top unit power play. I would give him the softest of soft minutes because I think otherwise he will get eaten alive in the NHL, five-on-five. 
But no doubt, he could be a terrific power play weapon. What do you get? Three power plays a game on average? So for six minutes a game, he could be a weapon. I don't like that kid's chances to make the show right now. Not to stick anyway, I should say. I think he'll he'll make it on pedigree and he'll make it just because the goal totals will suggest he should. But I don't know one coach is going to love him. Coaches might love the guy, but man, he's going he's to be a tough player to trust even strength in the pros. And that fucking matters more than having that right-handed bomb on the power play. Which, by the way, that shot being so great, anyone notice that he was getting chances and still couldn't put it in the fucking net? Like, so that's that kid, That's the thing that people want to say, right? Cole Caulfield, well, he gets his chances, he buries them. No, he doesn't. Didn't in two World Juniors. He was getting all the chances in the world. Wasn't burying shit. Oh, but he, and I love Ray Ferraro, but holy shit. And I'm sure some of it was, you know, his brother-in-law coaches the kid. So I'm sure there was a little bit of that, but man alive. Oh, he's flying now. Oh, he's getting his chances now. Yeah, and he's not burying them. Like he's not even showing that he's an elite finisher. Now I think he is, but I mean, in two world juniors, he did not show that he was an elite finisher. And it's not to shit on the kid. Again, for the thousandth time, it's not to shit on the kid. I hope he makes it. But what I really hope is that people start looking at him more rationally. People had him in their top five for the 2019 draft. Top five. Ahead of guys like Trevor Zegris. Ahead of guys like Dylan Cousins, Kirby Doc. Like, people have gone insane about this kid. Can we please finally take notice that he's a B prospect? That's it. B prospect means you might make the NHL. You're a solid, you're a solid junior player slash college player, you might make the NHL, jury's out, you have some value, you know, like, nothing wrong with being a B prospect. People have talked about him for two years as if he were Patrick Kane or if he, as if he were even Jordan Eberle. You know, like... He's got a long ways to go before he's that. Like, yeah. I just, I I don't know. Again, I hope he makes it. The more he has, he, and this is why, I get why people love him. He has star quality. Big smile always on his face. Loves the game. Works his balls off. Like, you know, everybody finds the small players endearing. I get it. I get it, and I'm pulling for him because the league's going to be better if he can be a star player. It's going to be a better league with him as a star player. 
I do not hate the kid as a play. Like, I do not hate the kid at all. But holy shit, the hype train has gone off the goddamn rails. Like, it's just, it's just insanity. He was getting talked about more for three quarters of that tournament. He was getting more hype than Trevor Zegras. I love Ferraro, but Ferraro was talking like Caulfield was the best player on that team. Not Zegras, not Turcotte, not Knight, not Sanderson. Like, Beneers outplayed him. By the way, uh, hands up if you were early on Matthew Beneers. I had him as my number five guy in the summer. Nobody else did. Suck it. I'm on a big roll right now, so I'm really into like telling people I told you so. Uh, this is gonna, this is gonna fucking die off right away, no doubt. But for now, I'm riding that gravy train of told you so. Go look at my 2019 draft rankings. Told you so. <laughs> oh, I'm a yeah. World Juniors, they're done. It was good. It was a fun distraction. You know, the tournament itself was it that great? Yeah. Had a lot of blowouts. The way the pool set up didn't make for made for a lot of blowouts. And I know there's a lot of talk on trimming the tournament to eight, trimming it to six. Yeah, a lot of how it played out this year with the discrepancy. Like Germany, you know, they gave Russia a tough game in the quarters and stuff. If Germany would have had Moritz Seider and they would have had Lucas Reichel, they would have challenged for a medal. I truly believe they would have legitimately, and if they wouldn't have the COVID stuff obviously happened, they would have legitimately challenged for a medal. They were that good. They had that much high-end talent. When you have a star in Stutzel, and they would have had a star on the back end in Cider, and then Paterka capable of anchoring his own line, Reichel capable of anchoring his own line, so you would have had three lines if you wanted to set it up that way, or you could have had one dominant line, you know, I don't know. Different coaches want to set it up different ways, but they would have had enough to challenge for a medal. You know, Slovakia, Slovakia, they've really fallen off to the point where they're right there with the Swiss and with the Germans as a fringe team, I guess you could call them. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was just a, kind of a freak year the, year, the way it's set up with the pools. We're getting another freak year next year. You know, the pools have hardly changed. The one thing about next year, well, actually, I should finish this thought on, on this year, but I know people weren't enamored with the blowouts, but it just really wasn't much different than any other year. You know, it wasn't, it's, I don't think there's anything, I, I, would I like to see it cut to six teams and do a round robin, you know, the thing Sid Sixero suggested, it, yeah, it would, it would make for a more fun tournament from a Canadian point of view, but I like to see the game grow. I want to see Germany become a hockey power. I want to see the Swiss become a hockey power. I want to get it to a point where there's a worthy eight or ten teams. I don't think you'll ever get to 10. I could see it getting to 9. If you have the Germans and the Swiss and the Slovaks make a comeback, I could see it getting to 9. 
you know? So I would rather that. And those countries feel like they're going to get there doing it this way. So if that's how they feel, then I'm all for the development of, of those countries and keeping things the way they are. And Yeah. As for next year, it's interesting. It's back in Edmonton. Hope to Christ that <laughs> things are back to normal. I mean, they'll never be fully back to normal, but back to normal is possible. I looked at, I was, so I was going to do a blog on Team Canada, and then I thought, eh. And I mean, I still might release it as a blog. I've, I've got a lot of it done, ironically, but I just don't know if it makes for a very good blog. I write a lot about not just who I'd have making the team, but also who's kind of on the, you know, right now I'd see on the fringe. This has potential being in Edmonton to be a very Edmonton-heavy Team Canada. Very Edmonton-heavy. I'm talking about Team Canada at this, at this moment. Team Canada could have, trying to do the numbers here, Two Oilers draft picks. Three Edmonton Oil Kings. And another two... The dog's playing with the cat right now, so that's fun. Another two... uh, Is there more than two? Another two kids who are from Edmonton. Possibly. Here's what I got for next year's Team Canada. And this is far too early, but I have fun doing this type of projection shit, as you've probably figured out by now. So, again, set the lines up any way you want. I set the lines up like this. Who the fuck knows? Maverick Bork, Seth Jarvis, Jacob Pearl, Kent Johnson, Hendrix Lapierre, Ozzy Weisblatt, Dylan Gunther, Shane Wright, Tyson Forrester, Jake Neighbors, Ridley Gregg, Ty Tulio, Carter Savoy as my 13th forward. 13th forward is going to be very interesting. Shane Wright, pretty much, like if there wasn't a pandemic on, Shane Wright probably would have played on this year's squad as a 16-year-old. I'm guessing it killed the Team Canada brass to have to cut him because it seems like that's always a thing. Like when Canada feels like there's a deserving kid, even though there's better players currently, the 13th forward is reserved for that next superstar. And Shane Wright is the next superstar in Canada. But there's another kid who might be the next superstar in Canada. Now, he hasn't played a game yet in the WHL, so we don't know. But Connor Bedard, the first kid in the WHL with exceptional status. We'll see if he challenges for Team Canada next year. There's also a local 17-year-old, he'll be 17 next year, who might challenge for that 13th spot. Oh, by the way, he happens to be the brother of the guy who I said would be the 13th forward, that being Matthew Savoy. This, and I've kind of forgot to put Matthew Savoy as far as those Edmonton kids go. 
So this has a very excellent chance. Not only, you know, hosting is one thing. You know, for Edmonton fans getting to go, that's one thing. Gunther is an oil king. Neighbors is an oil king. The Savoy brothers. It's not out of the realm of possibility that the Savoy brothers both make the team. And there's more. Because I look at the defense. Caden Gooley, Sherwood Park. Mike Benning, Sherwood Park. Well, St. Albert, former Sherwood Park Crusader. Like, this is my defense. Caden Gooley with Jamie Drysdale. Drysdale is the one guy. Note, I didn't have Perfetti up front, and I didn't have Byfield up front. I believe both are in the NHL next year. Drysdale is the one who I'm like, I could argue that either way that he'll be back. If I'm Anaheim, especially after seeing him in this tournament, Jamie Drysdale, he's way better than what he showed in this tournament. Now, granted, he was playing all the tough minutes. He wasn't great. He wasn't what I expected Jamie Drysdale to be. Jamie Drysdale, if I'm Anaheim, I would just leave him in the especially since the OHL isn't going to have a full season this year and everything. I would just play it safe and keep him for that one more year in the OHL and then see where he's at after he's done his OHL career. Maybe he needs to go to San Diego for a year. Maybe he slides in as their number six guy, which he easily could do next season. He could easily be Anaheim's number six guy next season. It's, it, it, the way that D set up, he would slide in very nicely. But for me, I think I would send him back to Erie or, you know, if he ends up getting traded, whatever, but send him back to the OHL for one more year, get a full year in the OHL and go back to the World Juniors. He would be the cat, that top pair that I have, Gooley or Drysdale. If Drysdale's back, he's the captain. If Gooley is the only one returning, there would actually be one more guy who would be returning if Drysdale doesn't. The way I've got it, there'd be three returnees, but one's one you don't think of. So it'd, it'd either be Gooley or Drysdale that'd be the captain. That'd be a hell of a top pairing. A hell of a top pairing. Keaton Gooley had a great World Juniors. Showed people why I'm a big fan, which I like. I like when people prove me right. And, you know, we'll see. Long ways off. Five to ten years before we really know what this past draft was or any draft is. But so far, so good for Caden Gooley. Second pairing, I got Owen Power and Brant Clark. And the third pairing, I got Carson Lambos and Mike Benning. Now, they're really, the way they're setting up here, they're really strong on the left side. So, and they're not that, they're pretty thin on the right side. I mean, you consider if Drysdale's not back, the fact that I've got Mike Benning as their number six guy, like, you know, I like Mike Benning, but ooh, that's not pretty. So, I mean, a guy who I'm not really, or a kid who I'm not really a big fan of, Luke Prokop, he might end up being on this team. Now, Prokop has some things going for him. He's 6'4". He can move really well for someone who's big and thick like Prokop is. Um doesn't bring anything else to the table other than size and skating. Like, very limited with puck skills and puck moving ability in general. 
but he might find his way onto the team. So you might be thinking, well, you got Mike Benning on the team? Yeah, they're not very strong on the right side. But we'll see. One of those left shot guys might move over. Also, the guy I'm glossing over, Corson Kuhlemans, another Edmonton kid, Edmonton area anyway, Beaumont. Um, the Mr. Beaumont. Um, Kuhlemans isn't going to get the recognition he deserves right now playing in Brooks. By next year, he'll be playing at Wisconsin. He might make a late push, and he's a right-shot defenseman. So he might end up on the team over Mike Benning. We'll see. And Damon Hunt, by the way, is the seventh guy. Proof that this is me picking who I think they'll pick and not who I'd pick because I do not understand why, and it's not to shit on Damon Hunt. It's not to say he can't play in the NHL or anything like that, but I felt he was one of the most overrated prospects in last year's draft. But... People love him. People love him. So I could see Damon Damon Hunt definitely will have a great shot of making that team. I got him as the number seven guy right now. If you want to argue that actually Damon Hunt would move to the right side and play over Benning, cool. Yeah, 100%. We're talking a year out here. It's going to be fun to listen to this in a year or in 11 months and see how right I was. Because it probably will get quite a few. Quite a few of these will probably sound ridiculous. And then for the goaltenders, I got Dylan Garand returning. He he would be the starter right now for me. Um, Sebastian Casa would be his backup. Casa, yes, he is still as we speak, just draft eligible for twenty twenty one. But he's a late two thousand two, so he will also be a nineteen year old like Garand. Um, the possibility of Canada being very strong in goal is there. Uh, whether that's Garand or Casa, I don't know. Sebastian Casa, man, that kid's got unreal talent. He's six foot six, and the way he moves, he moves like he's the same size as Dylan Garand. Kid's got a ton, ton of talent. And then as the third guy, I put Will Cranley, but. After Casa and Grand, I feel like you kind of get to a point where it's like big, 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 big coin flip. Maybe, maybe, um, trying to think of the kid's name from Sarnia, Benjamin, is it Goudreau? Benjamin Goudreau, yes, that is his name, after giving it more thought. Ben Goudreau is a kid who has the talent, so within the course of the next year, Maybe he finds himself ending up on the team. We'll see. So anyway, that's my Team Canada 2022. Some kids who came under consideration just quickly. I said Kuhlemans. Ronan Seeley, I think, is a kid that will turn heads. Oh, I forgot about Ryan O'Rourke. Oh, jeez. How did I forget about Ryan O'Rourke? Okay, scratch hunt. O'Rourke would definitely be on the team. Uh, O'Rourke, I apologize to anybody who's an OHL fan and was screaming at me the entire time. Ryan O'Rourke, definitely. I just, that was a, he was in my write-ups on guys, but he wasn't on the team that I just kind of roughly put together. Ryan O'Rourke would, without a doubt, be on my team. In fact, the write-up that I have is solid and steady, nothing flashy with O'Rourke, but very effective. I'd be stunned if he didn't make the squad. So... (laughs) 
I did not I did not mean to in any way suggest that Ryan O'Rourke wouldn't be on that team. That was just me doing this quickly and forgetting about him. So I'm trying to see now if there's a forward that I forgot about. Connor McLennan is someone who I you know, I'm a big fan of and would definitely be in the mix for the team. At least even if he doesn't go to camp. He would be in the mix as far as just getting a look in general, getting a hard look in general. Will Cooley, you know, he had a horrible 1920 campaign. But power forward with that kind of talent, he'll be still on their radar. No reason Will Cooley can't bounce back. Cole Sillinger is another kid. Ryder Korzak, who I'm not a big fan of at this point, kind of lived off Braden Tracy, and that's how he you know, amassed so many points last season. John Luke Foodie, Jack Finley is another kid. Jack Finley, a kid who I was super high on going into the draft. Remember, I was super high on Jack Finley's potential. Jack Finley has a ways to go in his progression. I two more years of junior, probably at least two years in the AHL. Love where he ended up going. That'll help for that'll help make me look good for where I had him ranked. I can't remember if he ended up twentieth. I want to say on my draft rankings, but yeah. Anyway, Jack Finley will get a look though for the team. Uh, a kid who can play as solidly two hundred feet and do as many little things for your team like Jack Finley, uh, he'd be intriguing to have on the team for sure. But anyway, okay. I don't want to keep everybody today. Uh, chin up, Canada. Best team in the tournament, shitty game. It's what happens. It's just, it's what happens. I got to get Griffey to quit licking my couch, so I'm going to let you go. Thank you very much, though, for listening. I am Tyler Campbell. This was Soups on Hockey, and we will see you next time.